Amoti lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, amotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam, Bore Pri Hagafen. Amen. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Shabbat shalom. If you would turn in your Bibles now to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Hold your finger there for a moment. Ephraim just got through sharing with us the final portions of the book of Exodus. It was a double portion and uh, covering the assembly of the tabernacle. And if you'll recall, uh, all of the materials that were gathered for the tabernacle, they came by way of donation. The Torah portion, Teruma, specifically, uh, which means offering, was specifically gathered to construct the tabernacle. So you're now seeing the assembly of the tabernacle, of all of these contributions that had come in and the craftsmanship that was done and the things that was processed to make the tabernacle according to the Lord's instructions. And it's finally all put together and it's finally assembled. And, of course, the glory of the Lord comes, you know, into the tabernacle. The, this portion continues to deal with Paul teaching us about a proper way to give. And keying off the tabernacle is the product of, of the giving that was done by the people from their heart. And last week, if you remember, I was teaching about giving from the heart, uh, not, you know, and, and so forth, not in a materialistic way. But it is a genuine thing that comes from your heart. Paul's going to continue to do that here. And in particular, he's talking to the Corinthians about the whole process of their involvement in giving to a ministry and being a part of it. Now, you're all going to say, well, Monty, boy, you sure timed that one right to encourage giving to Line of Line Ministries. Amen and amen. <laughs> this is the way it works in our faith, is that if you're a part of this then you get some more out of it. If you come in superficially and just observe for a little bit and you don't uh, make your offering to the Lord, if you don't get the connection of the Lord spiritually into the ministry, it really didn't do that much for you. 
Honestly, it didn't. If you're going to get the benefit from the ministry, the spiritual food, if you will, uh, then it comes by you getting involved. And in the, one of the ways that people get involved is giving. So let me let me read uh, this to you. Second Corinthians nine. We're going to read uh, verses one through 15, the whole chapter. Let me read it to you. And then we're going to go through it a little bit and talk about some of the things that Paul brings out. Chapter 9, verse 1, For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely, that Acacia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, that as I am saying, you may be prepared. Lest any of the Macedonians come and, and with me and find you unprepared, we, not speak of you, should be put to shame by this confidence. And he continues, So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren, that they would go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, and that the same night might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now I say this, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread to the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Will, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us produces thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of his service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of the Messiah and for the liberality for your contribution to them and to all, while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, what Paul is doing here is he's showing the linkage between previous people he has ministered to and the gifts that they're going to give and how it spiritually reproduces into other people. And essentially, uh, the same pattern exists in every ministry uh, like Paul has and certainly in this ministry that I've been a part of. Gifts that are given to the ministry don't turn right back around and go back to you. You know, you've already received and then you share and then what has you shared now empowers us to go and reach even other people. And so there's a kind of a spiritual multiplication thing that happens here um, and where your gift actually turns to the reason and you participate with us in bringing other people to the point where they thank God. 
Now, let me go ahead and just tell you something that I'm pretty convinced is true. Part of what our reward is going to be in the kingdom, when the Messiah returns and says his reward is before him, is little things that you did in the faith that possibly benefited, benefited, I'll get that word right, benefited other brethren. You're doing the work of the Lord. That is what is his emphasis. He wants to minister to the brethren. And if you helped to empower and enable so that others could be ministered to, that is where the big reward is coming from. It's not the gift you made. It's the results of your gift that will be the reward. And you have no idea how a minor a gift can be, how incredibly it can be used by the Lord. Taking you back to the case of the, of the building of the tabernacle. They gathered up all manner of different materials besides just gold and silver and precious stones. They, they gathered up, and maybe there was a person, they just had one stone, and, and they donated that stone. And that stone ended up going on the breastplate of the high priest. You think the Lord doesn't take note of that? You think he doesn't take note of who contributed that? And, and then the, what the, the work of the high priest wearing the breastplate and what it means to all of Israel and to the brethren? Or for that matter, if somebody just chipped in some silver, a small amount of silver, but it was smelted down and joined with other silver, and it made the sockets... You know, so that the, the planks could be fitted in to make the sanctuary, even the Holy of Holies. That you had a part, that your gift was used by the Lord in that way. And what Paul is trying to emphasize here is that he first starts with the, this brother, these brethren here uh, have promised, um, the Corinthians brethren have promised uh, certain gifts to help other brethren. And Paul had solicited the help from them, and they had purposed a gift to help them. And so Paul had gone to the Macedonians, and he had literally bragged on them, look what the Lord has done for you through these brethren. He has used them to minister into your lives, and which caused them to be very thankful to God. And so forth. well, Paul's following up, and he says, hey, guys, I've already, I've already passed along the accolades and the compliments to you. Let's make sure you fulfill your good word here. Let's, and by the way, rather than have him come and you kind of forgot this and you didn't really follow through, I'm going to go ahead and send some people in advance to get you ready so that you get full credit, so that you fulfill your good word. Sometimes giving that is done by us is sometimes done in the form of what we call a pledge. At the moment, I don't have to give, but I have a heart to give. And so by faith, you pledge to the Lord, I will give. And that gift is every bit as powerful as a gift that you already had uh, out of your means uh, to give. But the problem is you have need to remember, fulfill your pledge. Fulfill the good word, 
that you gave toward the Lord's work, and you will get this reward. You, you will get the blessing that comes from it, and this is what will be used to power uh, forward. In the case of the Corinthians, um, they needed the gift to come in in a, in a certain amount of time uh, to, to meet their needs. This ministry, each month, we operate. And, and people are giving from last month to empower us to do this month, to work this month. And then these people give this month and empowers us to go into the next month or later into the year, whatever the needs, whatever it is that we're working on. And it's real important to us because if that, if that flow stops, you know, the ministry comes to a screeching halt. The work comes to a halt for lack of resource. Paul's emphasizing to him how important it is to fulfill their good pledge. Now, he shifts gears, and this is the part I really like about this particular portion, and uh, have always liked. Beginning at, at verse 6, he begins to share again some principles about giving. And these are principles that come from the Torah and the Tanakh. These are not made-up things. This isn't, this isn't the way giving as in the church, oh, we decide to give this way in the church, and it's different from what. No, no, no. He's giving the teaching of the way the Torah taught you should teach, uh, give. And so he begins, uh, now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Uh, a simple agricultural um, word picture for you. And by the way, Messiah used this exact same uh, word picture to talk about the increasing of the gospel. And here he's talking about giving, that if you give sparingly, then you're going to reap sparingly. If I, if I have a, a handful of seed and I go to some ground and I take a pinch of seed out and I just sprinkle a little pinch, how, how many plants do you think are going to come from that? How much harvest do you think there really will be? But if you take the whole handful and you broadcast it, you spread it over the ground, you're going to get a lot of plants and you'll get a lot of harvest. Well, Yeshua talked about the exact same principle about us sharing the faith. That if you share openly, you know, with many, you'll see a harvest. You'll see, you know, the gospel go forward. That if you share sparingly, well, guess what? Not so much. And so this basic principle uh, was used by Yeshua to teach about sharing the gospel. Paul's here coming from the Torah and talking about how godly giving really works. So that's pretty understandable. I mean, nobody's, nobody has a hard time understanding that simple word picture. And then he says, verse 7, Let each one of you do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, but for God loves a cheerful uh, giver. This, actually, this phrase, purposed in his heart, actually comes from the Torah portion, Teruma, the original portion where Moses solicited for gifts for the making of the tabernacle. Because gifts that were made for the tabernacle, they had to come from the heart of the person. As the person's heart is moved, as they purposed in their heart to give to that. And he's saying, you do the same thing. Just as the children of Israel gave, you know, to help with the tabernacle, that's how you help in the ministry of others. You give the same way as you purpose in your heart. And then he goes on to say, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Well, let's talk about that for a moment. I don't know if you've seen this. I, I have. Um, 
I've been in assemblies, and uh, the uh, and the the word went out that we need to take up an offering. And I've seen people literally; you can see their countenance change, and it gets negative. They're not happy about this at all. Oh, I I got to give something here. I get, I, I got to put something in the plate. Now, I've told this story many times before, and I'm going to repeat it again. About the fellow that was in church one day, and he took his family out to Sunday dinner uh, every week, and he had a $20 bill and he had a $5 bill. This is way back a long time ago, back in the days when I'm a kid, when $20 could buy a family dinner. Okay, you can't even touch that today. Anyways, um, and the offering plate went by, and he intended to give a 5 but he actually threw the $20 bill in the offering plate. And so he was panicking because he's got to take his family to lunch and $5 isn't going to do it. And so he goes up to the preacher after the service and he said, look, I made a terrible mistake. I'm sorry. Uh, could I switch out this $5 bill for one of the $20 bills in the offering plate? Because I really intended to give $5, and, uh, but I put $20 in. And the preacher <laughs> says to him, he says, oh, son, God knows you gave a 5 well, I, I, I share that story because it really illustrates something. There's a lot of people who will agree to give to the ministry. And they'll do it not from the heart. They'll do it in a begrudging manner. They have no idea that when they gave that, what was credited to their righteousness is a pittance of what they gave. The Lord knows what the real value of the gift is. And therefore, he knows what was in your heart. The value of the gift is determined by the giver. And if in your heart, you took this attitude, you know, well, I may have put 20 in, but I really only had the heart to give five. That, that's the principle. You really only gave five. You gave a pittance because that was where your heart was at. And you determined the value of the gift. Now, the second thing he says, under compulsion. You ever been in a situation where uh, the preacher or whoever lays it on everybody and everybody has to contribute? I hate it when somebody says that to me. I won't, I won't give. Oh, yeah, everybody has to give. No, I ain't giving. You can forget it. I will not give under compulsion. I will give because in my heart I've decided to give something to the Lord. And you don't dictate to me as to how my heart should be giving to the Lord. That's business between me and the Lord, not you. Now, you need to just live with the results of whatever the Lord decided to give you is what you need to do. And there are a lot of, uh, in fact, in my background, I remember a lot of brethren They would where a church would have this pledging program at the start of the year they would have to sign this form they're pledging to give well you know if you're just looking at the economics of it I'm sure that the accountant and the leadership loved the fact that they had some anticipated revenue coming so they could plan but that's not what the way you're supposed to give you're not supposed to give under compulsion give from the heart and then specifically Paul says for God loves a cheerful giver let me, let me tell you in the Greek what it really says. In the Greek, it really says, for God loves a hilarious giver. 
hilariously giving. It's like you're giddy. It's like, oh, I get to give. I get to give. That, that's what the Lord loves. The Lord loves when you are passionately interested in working in the kingdom with him. And no matter what gift you give, if that's where your heart is at, he loves that. That's the reason why he uh, took note of the widow's mites. You know, her heart was fully into the gift. She determined the value of the gift. Messiah recognized it and said she gave more than all the others out of their abundance. Now, what does that really result in? Well, if we think in, if we think in secular terms, you know, let's take the case of the guy who gave the $20. Well, you know, is the $20 significant? I've had people give us large gifts, and I've always wondered where was the heart really at? Because I know for them to give a large gift, they have to give it out of abundance. Was their heart truly in, in it? Now, I know somebody that's on Social Security and sends maybe $20 a month in. I know where their heart is at. They mean it because that cost them. It's like the widow's mites. But the one who gives abundantly, you know, where is their heart really at? And again, the value of the gift is going to determine how it's used in the kingdom. The one that's given cheerfully, the one that's given hilariously, the Lord's going to maximize and use that greatly to bring about honor to his name and increase the brethren and, and do wonderful things in the blessing to that person. But the person who just gives out of abundance and doesn't put his heart into it, there's not going to be much return. It's like a spiritual investment. Some investments pay off and some investments don't pay off that well. If you buy $5 worth of stock and it turns into $10,000, that's a lot different than if you buy $10,000 worth of stock and it turns into $10,000 worth of stock. Who made the wise investment? Who got the best return? Well, obviously the one that increased. So Paul talks about the increasing value of a gift that's been given correctly. Verse 8 and God is able to make all a grace abound to you that always having sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You want to clear up your indebtedness problems? Seriously, you want to be able to get to the point in your own home where you have sufficient for what you need for you and your family? Try giving to the Lord first. This has been proved over and over and over again. And I've had people who come in and counseled with me, and, and they're good brethren, but they're in debt. And the debt is just dragging them down. Now, I give them the same counsel, you know, from the Scripture. I said, well, I'll tell you exactly how it worked for me. I gave first from what I had. It was a pittance. I give, but I gave it to the Lord. I gave it from my heart. And the next thing I know, all of a sudden, God's grace came into me and all my needs were met. My, my needs were met. The, the, the Lord took care of me. And my needs were greater than the gift I'd given. So I, it, it, the grace, the unmerited favor, abounded in me, like he says here, having all sufficiency in everything, so he met all my needs, and then it turns around, and you may have abundance in every good deed. 
And it enabled me to do even more. It enabled me to even be more helpful. And then he quotes from a scripture here. Verse 9, it says, As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. He scattered abroad. He cast it out. Where he didn't, it doesn't mean that he gave a pittance. He purposely scattered it abroad and he helped the poor. He helped those that were in need, not out of compulsion, not because it was begrudging to them. He gave it from the heart. And then as a result, his righteousness abides forever. Now, there's a lot more in this psalm that I want you to see. So go with me now. This is Psalms 112. And you'll see that the verse that he's quoting from is toward the end of this psalm. The psalm is not very large. Let me read it to you. And listen again about the righteousness of a godly man. Listen to about the definition of someone who's spiritually fulfilled. Psalms 112. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Hilariously, joyously loves the commandments of the Lord. His heart is toward the Lord with enthusiasm. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that fascinating? God can pour out that blessing and increase to you so that your descendants benefit from it. That he'll grant them grace to your descendants. Would you like to have God, in blessing you, decide to bless your children? I don't know about you, but as a parent, that gets my attention. I like that idea. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. One of the things that was very specifically emphasized to me in my youth when I began to follow the Lord was the whole idea was don't, don't take this as a fad and do this for a little bit and then quit. Take the long view toward your relationship with the Lord. By the way, that would be the proper one, because the moment you get into a relationship with the Lord, you you don't quite realize it, but you're really an eternal creature at that point. You're going to live forever with the Lord. Now, all other things you can do, it, it stops at your mortal life. But with the Lord, it endures forever. Your gifting your willingness, your heart toward the things of the Lord, it endures forever, the benefit of it. Wow, you talk about a spiritual investment. It just give, keeps giving and giving and giving back to you. And since it's going to go for uh, forever, you do realize that economically that means that you benefit from it far greater than what you gave. I mean, you want to talk about $5 turning into $10,000? It's even, that, that comparison doesn't even compare to what is for us in the future. Verse 4, light arises in the darkness for the upright. 
He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment, for he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. You know what it's saying there? It's saying that when people are even contentious with, they will not prevail against you. That the Lord will increase you and strengthen you in such a way that you remain forever. And then the goodness of you is remembered forever. Verse 7, he will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is upheld. He will not fear. By the way, I like that verse because here we are, you know, at the end of the ages. We have this scenario coming up at the end of the ages before the Lord returns called the Great Tribulation. Now, let's be honest with one another. We, we all love the Lord, but the idea of going through that three and a half year Great Tribulation before we get to see the Lord... You know, makes every one of us pause and, and take note. And, and I have talked about this many times, that there are going to be some brethren who are enthusiastic now in a time of peace that their faith is not going to be strong enough to sustain them in a time of war. You have to learn this righteousness. You have to get it into your heart and your life to sustain you in the tough times. So that you're not taken aback by the fear of evil tidings, like the Great Tribulation. When I hear a person grimacing and fearing the Great Tribulation, you know what that tells me? They're not doing what's in here in Psalms 112. They're not doing it. Their heart is not hilariously inclined to the commandments of the Lord. Their heart is closed up and doesn't want to give and share with others. They are all closed in on themselves. And guess what? They're only left with themselves and the resources themselves. And they're full of fear. That's not what happens to the righteous person. Verse 8. His heart is upheld. He will not fear. Until he looks with satisfaction on his adversaries. Then here's the verse that, that Paul quoted. He has given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn would be exalted in honor. Now, the last phrase he didn't quote. I'm here to tell you that the last phrase is, if you give to the poor, you give to those that are in need, you help other brethren. Not only does your righteousness endure forever, not only does that count, you know, before the Lord as a valued gift because your heart was giving and sharing with the Lord, but your horn, in other words, your strength, your might will be exalted in honor. How many of you want to walk into the kingdom and the Messiah greets you personally. You're not standing in a crowd. Oh, by the way, he warmly greets you. Puts his arms around you and hugs you. And not only says welcome, but says stuff like, I am glad you're here. And expresses a love to us in that way. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I, uh, I tell this story, um, I have, uh, it's, a, it's a version of this, and I, I wrote it actually in honor of my grandmother. My grandmother Needham uh, 
my maternal grandmother was a very godly woman. She was the first woman who ever taught me how to pray. She was the first person who ever helped me get a Bible. She's the first person that ever talked to me about Jesus and about the Savior. And I knew that she loved me and she loved God and all of her life. She was the godly example in my family for everybody in the family. There was no question about her testimony and no question about that I benefited uh, from her. I wrote a little thing about her uh, when she passed away. And I described about the three servants who enter into the kingdom. Servant number one uh, barely got there. The, the, the Lord's redemption did cover. His arm was not short. He was able to save him. But in the course of his life, he had only done minimal things as far as increasing of his faith and so forth. And when he entered into the gates into the kingdom, he felt a little strange. This was a new place. He wasn't familiar with it. And it humbled him greatly that he didn't understand, that he didn't know. You know and, and when he came before the king, all he could do was fall on his face. And others had to assist him to pick him up. Because he just did, it overwhelmed him as to where he was now suddenly at, and, and he couldn't relate anything he had done as, uh, that compared with it. Servant number two was faithful. He walks into the kingdom, and he knows he belongs there. Things are familiar to him. And when he comes before the king, he bows and renders honor to the king and presents his gifts to the king. And the king says something like, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the kingdom. But then there's a third kind of servant. This is the one that was moved by their heart toward the Lord. When the word goes out that the servant is coming into the kingdom, the Messiah gets off the throne and greets them at the gates to welcome them in. And this psalm is talking about that is possible for you to be the servant of God in that way. That the Lord is excited about you coming and your horn will be exalted, you know, by him. That's what Paul's quoting from here. When, when he's talking about in 2 Corinthians 9, he's talking about that kind of relationship with God, that, that kind of giving and how it comes together. Let me finish the, the, the psalm. Verse 10, the wicked will see it, be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. And essentially wickedness doesn't understand this and they are not going to prevail. This isn't going to work for them. This is stuff for the righteous. Now Paul uh, continues after quoting there. From, from the 112th Psalm, and he says the following things to us. Verse 10, Now he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Let me give you a quick definition about in everything with liberality. 
Let me give you a little word picture for that. Um, I grew up in humble settings, and we did not have uh, a lot of money in my family. We were poor. And my mother, um, she didn't have a car. We didn't have to, we, we went where we had to walk or I rode my bicycle. And uh, she had purposely got these racks on the back of my bicycle so that I could go to the grocery store for it and put four sacks. Four sacks would fit in these racks. And she would plan out the grocery shopping and she would give me the money and give me the list and I would go grocery shopping. To this day, one of my great joys is going grocery shopping. Now, other people are weird. You know, they think you like to go grocery. Yeah, that is a very special thing that took place between my mom and I. And, and I was always interested in trying to get even better for her for it. I remember one time in particular, she gave me the exact money for it, and I found a product that was on sale, and I brought her back seven cents instead of the exact amount. And when we would go, I would have to look every price and calculate how much was left. And there's a lot of people who have to go and they buy groceries that way. You know, their budget is, is restricted, and so they have to count and get the quantity size for the cost uh, for their need, and they have, have to do it. You know, I made a vow to myself before the Lord when I was a young man. I said, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to live where it's, it's hand to mouth with you, Lord. You say that you'll bless me and give me an abundance. I want to be able to go, Lord, to a store, like a grocery store, and I don't look at the prices anymore. I get what I need and I want. And there is sufficient to cover it. That's how I've been living since I turned my life over as a young man to the Lord. With liberality. Not as a poor person. Now that isn't because I had a ton of money or that I was rich, or suddenly became rich. It's a different way of living. And let me tell you, it's liberating to you. People sometimes are so caught in their need that they, they're like they're drowning, and they barely can get their nose above the water line a lot of times. And you know what? When you're in that situation, the only thing you can do is try to keep your nose above the water line. You haven't got time to do anything else. And when you're in need, that's, that's, that's completely occupies you. I didn't want to live that way. I don't want to see my brethren live that way. I want them to learn these principles so that they can have all liberality with the Lord. And their righteousness is increased. And their needs are met. And they're joyous. And they get to enjoy their life. And so that they get to spend their energies on enjoying the Lord and the brethren. So he concludes this. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Not only are you helping me, but you're helping other brethren, guys. Because the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience and your confession of the gospel for, for the liberality of your con contribution to them and to all. The, uh, every time this ministry gets a little tight, 
We're starting to run low. You know what that's our signal to do? Give more. Give more. So we do. We get to where we're in need. We give more. Guess what? God then supplies all of our needs with his grace. More than sufficient. And, and we have done this. I've been in this ministry for 23 years. And that's the way it works, brethren. That's, that's the way the ministry really works. You get to be a part of that. Now I want you to take note of the last verse. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Remember the principle I gave you? Who determines the value of the gift? The giver. What do you think the Messiah thinks of his gift of his son to us? Indescribable. We need to get to the point where we see what the Lord is doing in his point of view so we can understand really what's going on. What really is the value, you know, for it. And um, once we come to understand that, then we'll learn how to give. In fact, I'll give you the last principle I give. The, um, you will never learn to give correctly until you learn how to receive from the Lord correctly. The more you come to terms with the gift of the Messiah to us and what he's done for you, the more you come to terms with it, the more you'll know how to give from your heart to the benefit of others. If you never come to terms with the gift that God has given you, you won't understand giving to other people. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.